Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast, where we talk about life, business, entrepreneurship, the beauty industry, and beyond. My name is Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Gina Bianca podcast for another amazing episode of Salon Ownership Unfiltered. I am here today with Carlos Latillier. He is the owner of Limon Salon, and he is an incredible salon owner who has volunteered his time to do this episode. I'm so grateful. Hi, Carlos. Hi, Gina. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, I just came to your salon in Walnut Creek. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was an honor to have you there and everyone has such a great time. Yeah. It was so fun. And I was like thinking of you when I left, I was like, you'd be a great person to interview on a podcast. And when I left uh, another salon in California, I was like, they would be a great person to interview on the podcast. And that's where this like little passion project kind of started. Cause when I was in California, I had like so many uh, salon owners who are just crushing it. And Mm -hmm. so far I've interviewed three of the five of you guys that were there. So um, thank you for doing this. Very welcome. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. Um, I would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, all those things for our audience. Sure. Uh, my name is Carlos Letelier. Uh, I'm in San Jose, California. Um, we opened uh, our salon, Limon Salon. Uh, it'll be 15 years this November. So we opened in 2008. And then we opened up our second location in Walnut Creek uh, about a year and a half ago. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. And when I was uh, looking for host salons in San Jose, tons of people were tagging you. (laughs) They were like, Carlos, Carlos. So that always says a lot when people go out of their way to, you know, share. Um, Okay. So in this series, we're going through and we're sharing salon ownership unfiltered. So My goal is for salon owners to listen to this, to get motivated, inspired, maybe feel a little bit less alone, or for people who want to open a salon to maybe have uh, some unfiltered advice, you know, hear what's working, what's not, uh, what to expect, all of those things. So let's dive in. And I've been asking all of the salon owners this question. Do you have any business or uh, salon owner focused education, uh, like a college degree, any of those things, like before you opened your salon, did you have any formal education? No, actually I was in the tech industry. I was in a completely, specifically telecom, uh, completely different industry. So I had, I had no previous experience in business, uh, or hair or the beauty industry at all. So it was all brand new to me from, from when I started and you're not a hairstylist. I'm not a hairstylist. No. So uh, for me, it was, I really was kind of over the tech industry. It was, um, it was, I started doing, I was really young and uh, it paid very well. So I just kind of ran with the money and thought that that would bring me happiness for the rest of my life. And 
after about 10 to 12 years, I realized that that wasn't the case, that even though it paid very well, I wasn't happy specifically in that type of industry. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do something more creative and be around creative people and people that inspired me. And, and I noticed that every time I would get off of work in my tech job, I would either go to the bar or uh, somewhere to meet my friends who were hairstylists or artists or musicians. So I decided at that point in my life, I needed to, to be around people that, um, that just were exciting for me and inspiring to me, but I had no clue uh, what it, it entailed to open a hair salon. And I just kind of jumped in and, and, you know, been making it work, but I knew that I needed some type of education. I knew that I needed to get some type of business education or hair salon ownership education or something like that. So early on, I started going to the classes that were offered through our product lines. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start. Uh, with learning specifically about how to run a hair salon. So you just opened a salon one day? You didn't have like a business partner or anyone get you into it? Like you just opened? I, I did. I had a business partner. It was my girlfriend who went to cosmetology school just so that we could open the salon together. Uh, and uh, a year and a half into it, uh, the partnership wasn't going, our relationship wasn't going well. So uh, we decided to split ways and and then I decided to take this whole, the whole salon for myself and run it myself. Awesome. So you just kept going. You're like, I'm going to figure this out, even though I don't have anyone to help me. I'm just yeah. going to figure it out. <laughs> and honestly, I feel like I'm glad I did that because if I knew how insanely difficult it is to run a hair salon, I would never have done it. Really? And yeah. I think that, I mean, if you go ahead and you think about all the challenges you have in your business if you were to even imagine that all in just that time you're trying to create a concept, it's going to, it's going to detour you from doing it. You're going to be like, there's no way I, I can do that. But it's the whole just jumping in and figuring out how to not sink is truly, in my opinion, the best way to do a business. Absolutely. Awesome. So tell us about the salon. So, uh, it's Limon Salon, and um, like I said, we opened in 2008, and we're a uh, employee commission-based salon. Uh, we've been like that since, well, that's, that's not true. When we first opened, we did kind of a hybrid model where we had a few booth renters in the salon, and but the idea was to create a commission salon. But we brought in booth renters because we needed instant flow of, of cash or revenue coming into the business to pay rent and bills and all that stuff. Um, and then soon after we realized that at least I realized that I was enjoying more being a salon owner, uh, than being a landlord. I really wanted to be more of fully involved in the day to day with employees and the whole process and build a brand and build a company. So, um, as our booth renters left, we just didn't replace them with other booth renters. We just kept hiring employee based stylists. Awesome. And so you're employee based now. What's the vibe over there? I mean, I, w I was able to be there. It's so gorgeous there. And then what I noticed it, that was different is like your whole team was there. Like a yeah. lot of salons can't get their team to show up to stuff. And like, even for me, like I have a booth rental salon. I have 30 hairstylists. We do a class, maybe like five or six people come and, you know, I get it's like the independent mindset and all of that. But a lot of people, they can't get their staff to show up uh, for stuff. And you had like your whole team there. I was like, oh my gosh. And I love them. They were all so nice. 
And honestly, that was because of you. I had nothing to do with that. I swear to you. I, I try to get my team to go to classes and maybe 10, 20% show up all the time, right? Oh, but now I feel flattered. Okay. I, as soon as I'm like, hey, Gina's going to be coming. Uh, and, and most of them came from our San Jose location, which is about an hour drive to our Walnut Creek location. And pretty much everybody came. So that was, uh, that was because of you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love but, that. But the vibe is great. I mean... I think we've, we've evolved a lot, right? Be because of the classes I've taken, like I was telling you, we did. Um, my first one was, uh, it was business. It was, what was it called? It was called, um, it was through Bumble and Bumble at their Bumble University in New York. And it was an amazing uh, class. I can't find it. It's called Business Immersion Workshop. And that was my introduction to the education side of the business. And while I went through that, I learned so much from that class. I kept taking more and more classes and learning from people that have done it in the past or from product companies that worked with a lot of salons. But I specifically went to one class called the perfect storm. And it was in, uh, in Miami through luxury brand partners. Um, and this class was when the first time I kind of got a feel for the way the industry was shifting from, commission to booth rental and everyone going independent not so much suites at that time even though it was probably happening i was more in tune with uh booth rental and in california there was like a massive exodus from commission to booth rental during that time it happened here too i feel yeah. like anywhere where there's a high concentration of good stylists who you know is really good at marketing themselves a lot of people jump ship and it was insane i mean i had an employee based salon for 5 years i don't know if you do this but i have yeah. an, i had an employee based salon for 5 years and i was team based and i was like all into it and then once i started to realize um, you know, that I only had like a two year relationship with them and I was putting in two years of training and building and then they're gone yeah. uh, no matter what I did. And I, and then I just started to get burnt and like pissed. And yeah. I always say that salon ownership is one of the loneliest and difficult things that you can do. You have to really want to develop people. And to me, I was 23. Yeah. Like I didn't know shit. At that I was time. 33, so I had already known some shit. <laughs> if I did it now, completely different situation. But at 23, yeah. you don't know shit. Like you think you do. And if you told me back then I didn't know shit, I'd be like, totally. you know what I mean? But yeah. um, you know, it, when I kind of saw what was going on, I did everything I could to open a booth rental salon right away. And I always wanted to have two salons where train them up, then they can go rental. And then yeah. I started my teaching business and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. And I closed and I just kept the booth rent. And But I could see myself opening commission salons in the future. I definitely could. But at that time. It's different now, too. Like You I watched it happen. Sorry. Yeah, no, we watched it happen. And I think because of us. And, and luckily, I had a little bit of a head start or like a warning of this storm coming you know before it actually fully hit at least my salon and and maybe even my market but yeah it was it was crazy and uh but i started adjusting and pivoting and started changing the way that i was as a leader the way that i treated my team the way that the structure that we already had built it was uh like the beginning of the change and but i always kind of knew like if this if this continues to go where all stylists want to leave commission salons and go independent, then I need to figure out either a plan B or close the business or 
figure out how I could still add value to hairstylists. And like you said, it's it was very it's very difficult if you do it when you're younger. It's a little bit more difficult. But um, for me, it was when I went to Tony Robbins, and that's when it truly changed everything for me. Oh so, yeah, we became best friends. I remember. Okay. Yeah. Yes. yes. On the yeah. phone that the, when I first called you to do the class there and yeah. we both were like Tony Robbins. Okay. Yeah. I, it just all came back to me. Yes. Yeah. So he did a couple like workshops here in San Jose and then I was obsessed immediately with what he was. And it was at just the right time for me and my age that I needed to, I wanted to work on different things in my life from uh, my business to my health and my family and my love and relationships with people and all that and I felt like I was doing it all wrong because I was like probably how you felt when you first opened the commission salon, just scared, angry, felt resentful. Um, I was when I did Tony Robbins, the um, values yeah. exercise, because yeah. did you do date with destiny? Yeah, no, okay. no, I, I did business mastery. The, oh, you mean the workshop before it was the one that they kind of combined it all together. UPW? Yeah. That's it. Okay. So I did date with destiny and business mastery, but I did business mastery first. And then I had a date with destiny and yeah. business mastery blew my freaking brain open. And that's when I decided I wanted to be an educator and not a salon owner. And that's when I made the shift of closing and going into my education business. Yeah. Um, date with destiny. When he does the values exercise, he goes through your number one, going away from feeling the mm-hmm. feeling you don't want to feel ever again. And mine was resentment because I had built over five years, this like ball of hatred and betrayal (laughs) for like everything. Like I, and I, I didn't know how to cope with like the rejection, the loss, the betrayal of our industry. It was so hard for me. And like, as somebody I'm Italian, I don't like to admit weakness at all. So like to, for me to like go through that transformation with Tony Robbins and like the number one going away from feeling and, um, really realizing that the resentment was poisoning me and like starting to heal from that was absolutely insane. I don't you think that, I I don't know. I feel like most salon owners feel that, you know, at at least at some point in their career, they feel that. And, and, you know, we get close to our team and. Uh, we, 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 even though, you know, you hear like, if they say it's family, it's probably toxic. Um, you do feel like it's their family, right. And you work everything you can to help build them. And I can see why a lot of salon owners feel, uh, a lot of pain or, or resent when the, when their stylists leave, especially if you have the idea in your mind that you've built them up and you've created their, their schedule or their, their business or clientele, and then they bail on you. So I had a lot of that feeling, you know, especially when the that storm came and everyone started leaving. But instead of getting like really upset, um, I went to Business Mastery. I learned a lot from Tony Robbins just in business in general. And, you know, it's like five days, like 12, 14 hours a day, super immersive, intense and uh, cold and cold, freezing. Tony loves to be in freezing cold uh, room. So um, but what it changed for me, it was the way the relationship that I had with my business and my team. And I definitely took it more in a, in a spiritual way where uh, I stopped thinking so much about the profits in the business and more about the people in the business. And for me, I think that was the massive shift that then, even though we were still a commission salon, uh, 
we kept our commission stylist throughout that entire storm, all the way up until COVID, where we lost half our team. And happy to go into that as well. But um, the I think just giving the 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 team the relationship as as a friend, as a, someone that cares about them as a human being, versus just like you're a stylist that brings in revenue to this business. And if you leave, you're taking all the revenue. Um, it really changes your business. And that's kind of what I did. So I came back thinking more about how can I help them grow and succeed? And if their decision is because they want to go on their own or independent, then let's help them be successful no matter what, because they care about them as a human being, not as a number or a profit. Yeah, totally. Um, It's, it's interesting because what you just said, like we want to put people first. We don't want to think about profits all the time. We want to like treat people like they're not just people bringing in money into the salon. Like we want that family. Right. And I'm doing air quotes, that family. And, you know, say it's toxic, but like salon owners are all doing their best, but you, people have to realize, and if you want to open a salon or if you're a salon owner, like if there's stuff going on in your business, it really does come back to you. Like for me, I was going through before I took Tony Robbins classes, you know, I had been cheated on in relationships. I had like a really difficult family life. I had been hurt a lot in the past stuff that had nothing to do with work or business. I had been bullied in high school. I'd been assaulted in high school. I was like literally like prickly. Like I was just always on guard for myself. And you take somebody like that who has these amazing intentions, who has a beautiful vision. You can't expect them to be perfect. Like nobody's perfect. And it took me 10 years of working on myself in therapy. I went to rehab. I went to Tony Robbins events. I've done intense work on myself to like try to heal and be better. And I think that when you just open a salon without really thinking about who you are as a leader, all of those things that you ignore and maybe you just workaholic through it or drink through it or do drugs through it or whatever you do to cope, that person is the leader of the business. Like even if you mask it, they're still there. So I think like what you said about when you came back from Tony Robbins, like number one, how privileged are we that we got the opportunity to go and, you know, privilege. I mean, I sold shit to go. I maxed out credit cards to go. I paid it off over a year to go, but like that we almost privileged that we knew or, or it came to us at the right time, like that we had that. It did. And, and for me, it was a major change, you know, but the good thing is that when I came back with those changes, it really aligned better with what was happening in our industry. And I think the reason why most stylists left were leaving commission salons or leaving these these salon owners that were getting hurt were because they were bad, probably toxic salon owners, right? They maybe had that pain that you had, right? And they've been that was me. <laughs> and they're triggered and they're they have, you know, trauma and they're they're getting angry and upset and um and they're probably good people, but just that fear makes you act badly, right? And I think a lot of salon owners we're doing that during that time, probably still to this day doing that, right? Yes. In different parts of the country. I know in California, uh, it's a way more majority of booth rental. So there's very few commission salons left. So I think if you're a commission salon in California, you really have to be doing it the right way and caring for your team. Because if not, there's no reason for them to be with you. You have to add value and a certain value that they can't get on their own. 
And so that's something I learned from the Tony Robbins classes and, and I implemented it and it's really been transformative for, I think, our team and our business. You want to know one of my favorite things I learned at Business Mastery when he says, how can I make it absolutely fucking crazy for them to go anywhere else for their hair? And I use that in everything that I do in my life. How can I make it fucking crazy for them to get their hair done anywhere else, for them to work anywhere else, for them to listen to any other podcast, for them to take any other class? Like I'm always thinking about how can I make it like whatever the price is, it's fucking stupid not to pay that because it's there's so much value. So much value. That's exactly it. And that's what I think about every day. And I think about that probably more because I consider myself, I consider my team, my clients, right? Those 30 youth as as my clients. So my focus is always like, what can I do that would make it crazy for them to want to leave the salon, right? And if they do, then I want to be as supportive and as helpful in that process because it's not about keeping people. It's about helping them grow. And here's the other thing I noticed when a salon owner is more, Uh, open to helping a hairdresser grow, even if that means out of their salon, they're going to be your best coach ever. They're going to be recommending newer stylists, go to that salon. They help me grow my clientele and look at me killing it now. Right. So, and I know a lot of salons freak out about losing stylists, but I think it's a really good thing if the intentions are, are good. Yeah, I agree. I love that. So let's hop into a different question in your salon. Since you're not doing hair, what's your daily role? So payroll takes me a long time and that, that's about a, a good portion of my, of my, one of my days. Um, uh, I think for the most part, I'm here just uh, to help serve my team and, and whatever that may be, right. Either that be um, helping them uh, with a, a difficult client or, you know, a client that needs, that needs to talk to me about some issue. Uh, you know, we have our daily reps that are coming in um, product reps and different reps that come in. Um, but I think mostly I'm just here to like serve my team and, and, make, and be sure that I'm helping the business continue to grow and looking for other opportunities for them. Uh, I do a lot of marketing. That's one, one of the things that I add value to the salon is, is since I don't do hair, I have to do some other stuff that hairdressers don't like to do. So uh, really building a great front desk team I focus on and, uh, and the marketing side of the business as well. Awesome. Do you have any like tips or tricks or anything that's worked really well to keep your stylist busy as far as marketing goes? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's multiple platforms. We know the most common ones, right. And, and I would say uh, continually having explaining and coaching your team, how important it is to, to post on social media, but not necessarily for that immediate, like um, collecting of leads or clients, but just as a place for clients, when they end up to your social media, they have a place to see your work, right? Like a a, a gallery of your work. Um, it also works as a place to get clients, you know, if you're continually active on it in social media, but for us, it's more of, um, a few other few things. We are definitely into paid ads. So I put paid ads into two of the biggest platforms in my market, which brings us customers and clients would be uh, Yelp and Google. So my marketing is mostly digital marketing and it's mostly through paid ads and social media. Nice. That for us helps us stay pretty busy. How did you learn about that? So Yelp makes it really easy because it just 
you just put in like the the area for us i don't know about your market but yelp is ridiculously huge out here like everyone goes on yelp so uh, i would say half of our clients new clients find us through yelp um but their their marketing makes it really easy so if you're not showing up at a high position in yelp uh then i would put a little bit more money towards the ad spend or the the ad dollars on it Meaning if you go to your, if you type in hair salons near me or hair salon in the city you're in and you're not showing up in the top three, then you definitely want to do advertising on Yelp because that's where a majority, at least in my market, where they're looking for, for salons. Um, but it's easy. You just put in them the, the, you know, I think maybe male and female, maybe it doesn't ask that, but it puts you kind of in a range, allows you to put keywords in there and a budget, super easy. Awesome. Yeah. Google is a whole different beast. I literally had to spend probably a month learning how to do Google ads. Uh, I think people go to agencies to do this because it's so complicated, but I wanted to learn it and I wanted to see if I could figure it out. And it's been a few months doing it and we're bringing in a lot of clients. I would say now about out of that hundred percent, about 30, 40% are coming in from Google now. Nice. Now you have a pretty big salon, like a pretty big um, operation. I have a question for you, like personally, because I, I admittedly over the past, like five years of my booth rental salon. And when I was, um, the owner of my employment based salon, we would get tons of, um, customers from Instagram, but we weren't really like tracking or having a metric on new guests per like, new guests per month, but we were like kind of new. So my yeah. question for you is a salon who's been open since 2008. What is your benchmark for this is my goal for how many new guests a month? If we have this many new guests a month, we're doing really well, like for stylists and for salon, but your salon's pretty big. So maybe for stylists, like what's their goal of new clients per month? Real talk. If you're not shopping at Marlo Beauty Supply, you are losing money, but don't worry. If you have a cosmetology license, you can sign up at MarloBeauty.com and shop at wholesale prices with no minimum order. Marlo Beauty Supply only sells to professionals. This is key because they're one of the only companies that puts salons first. Marlo ships right to your salon, their shipping is so fast, and their website is always stocked with all the beauty essentials that you need. Their customer service team is wonderful and all of their items have a 30-day return window. No questions asked. Stop overpaying for the essentials and head to marlobeauty.com. Okay, there's two things you should know about me if you don't know already. Number one, I have kind of a tough love approach and I really think of it as like, I care about you. So I don't want you to walk around with food in your teeth. So I'm gonna tell you like it is in a kind way, but it's still, you know, pretty direct. So I'm not for everybody. Some people need a little bit of a softer approach and that's okay. So that's one thing you should know about me. And the second thing that you should know about me is in every single thing that I do, whether it be my business, my education, whatever it is, my salon, how I work with people, how I coach, everything that I do, I have one simple motto. 
make it absolutely fucking crazy not to do business with me. And what that means is to add massive value for the best price. And I'm talking specifically about my mastermind group. If you have not looked into my mastermind group, I am encouraging you today for your business, for your growth, to check out the networkmastermind.com. Look at what's included. I have all of my online education in one place for you, and I do bi-weekly coaching calls to help you grow your business. You have direct access to me and our incredible community. It is absolutely crazy not to join Mastermind at only $50 a month, and you can also save on two months when you join for the year. It's an absolute no-brainer. So go check out www.thenetworkmastermind.com to learn more and to sign up. I guarantee you, your life and business will change. That's a really good question. I mean, we have always attract that and we've been doing that from every software that we've had since we've opened. Um, but really for us, we, we started as a level system and in that level system was tracking different things that were more important. So I'm not exactly, I don't think we actually had like a benchmark mark for it, but, um, at times we're bringing in 20, 30% new clients every month that were distributed through the, the whole team. 20 to 30%. And that was feeling, that was good for you. That guys. was feeling good and busy for us. Obviously awesome. in the beginning, when you first open, it's going to be almost all clients, right? But then what your goal is to now continue to retain those clients and have them become uh, regular clients. And then now you're not counting them at in that metric. Yeah. I'm going to start saying 20 to 30% new guests a month. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to because like it's like I didn't never track that. I tracked pre-book, productivity, retail recommendation, retail to total sales. And, um and retention. Yeah. Like we were always tracking 90 day and 120 day retention and just seeing like where we were. And I used to make these report cards for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's how it used to be, right? You'd do like the yeah. report card on the one on ones. <laughs> it would say A through F. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Because <laughs> like I felt like when I would give them like a whole freaking thing of numbers, they would just be like, just lost. What? They would just yeah. be like, "Well, I don't care." But then when they saw like A B straight A's, they were like really fired up about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even sure what the benchmark is or what's good or not. I mean, for me, I'm looking when I'm doing the ads, what my ROI is, right. Or, or I'm looking at how much I'm paying for the lead or and how much I'm paying for the clicks and the leads, right. Like, and the, or the conversions. And I'm seeing what my average is for that. But uh, in the salon, I'm not hundred percent sure how that translates. Now we do have a, a loyalty rewards program and to sign up for that loyalty rewards program one of the questions is where'd you hear about us right and it has all the options you know instagram tiktok google yelp so forth cool. and uh, and so that's why i can tell you that 50 percent of our clients are coming in from yelp and about 30 from google and then the rest is between instagram and referrals so um in a small percentage from tiktok we're kind of new in the tiktok game but um I'm not exactly sure what that benchmark is, but I'll tell you some stylists have way more new clients than others, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good thing, right? Like, are you not retaining enough that you're constantly needing to be fed new clients or is it that you're just newer and you, you, everyone's have new. Yeah. Ability. Everyone's new. Then that's okay. I think 20% 
thinking about it, like I think 20%, if I have a hundred new, if I have a hundred guests in a month and 20 of them are new guests, I think that shows a really strong initiative in marketing. I think if 50% are new, that shows I'm not retaining my older guests. Yeah. So I start to worry about that. I think 20% is good. But isn't Thanks for talking goal, this out with me? Yeah, isn't the goal though in the end to to be able to have less guests where you have to raise your prices to get new guests? Yes, like, I feel like that's ultimately where you want to be, where you've added so much value that your demand has skyrocketed, that you need to raise your prices to lower that demand to bring in new clients. Yes, and that's kind of what what we're we're trying to do. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks for breaking that some of that down. And I have a meeting with my manager after this call um, because we're doing some paid ads for the yoga studio and we're going to do Facebook ads. Yeah. But now I'm thinking, because when we first opened the yoga studio, I did Yelp ads yeah. and we got a lot of people from that. So I think I'm going to throw some money on Yelp too. Do Yelp. It's. I mean, for us, it's been amazing. I feel like a yoga studio is also people would go on Yelp for. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think service, health, beauty, like restaurants, that's really where a lot of people go to, to Yelp for, um, the, for us, Facebook, we used to advertise on Facebook and I'm not sure how well that did, but I don't think I really learned it really well to, 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 for it to be really Facebook is like an ant. It's like a whole beast. I hate it. Is it? Okay. It is so yeah, difficult. Yelp is- Yelp and Instagram is easy. Have you done any Instagram uh, paid ads or sponsoring? Here and there, like for some of my classes that are like crickets, I'll do um, yeah. I'll do the ticket price as my budget, and I'll push that to just okay. the city and around the city, like within fifty miles or something. So yeah, has it worked? It's worked okay. It's not yeah not anything that's like oh my god this is life-changing. It's, I still post constantly and I wish, oh my God, I wish I didn't have to post about classes. Like it's the same as filling your openings. You know what I mean? Like when you put, I put almost 2000 tickets up for sale. Like it is so hard to do that. I mean, you killed it in our Walnut Creek location. That was a packed house. Walnut Creek, it was like, it was like fire. It sold it, out. It, it's it tough for us. So every city is a little bit different. Yeah, every city. I mean, I have a class in Vermont coming up because I'm trying to do all 50 yeah. states. That's my goal. So doing all 50 yeah. states, we have our Kentuckys, our Vermonts, our West Virginias, our New Hampshires. And I don't mm-hmm. have a following there. And I rely right. on the host salon to help me you know, spread the word. Some cities do okay. And then some, it just takes a little longer. Uh, In California, I go to like the same five places. So I've built like a following out there and that has helped quite a bit, but it took like seven years. It's definitely not easy, but it's all the same. You're selling your hours, your tickets or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's paid ads is obviously a really strong one. And of course, if you're a content creator, then you are ahead of the game and you can bring in a lot of clients by just doing a lot of content as well. Absolutely. Just building your authority, saying like, I'm the person like, you know, for me, when I was starting doing hair, when people thought of color, they thought of me. Yeah, that's perfect. 
that's like the reputation you want to build. So if people think of, I need my hair done, they automatically think of you. And that's why someone asked me today, how often can you post before you become annoying? And I was like, <laughs> if you're watching TV on cable, how many commercials do you see for Burger King? Right. Probably right. like 20 within two hours. You'll see like. And you're only annoying to the people that don't want to come to you anyway. Right. So who cares? Right. So it, it's the same as like posting for client, like a lot of stylists will post, but they're kind of posting for other stylists, which they should be thinking about posting for their client and caring about the client. Meaning um, we have so many stylists that go, I never post anything. And there's only a few reasons why stylists don't post because we know that most stylists have like thousands of photos in their phone. It's usually because they're a little bit too picky. They're too worried that they don't, they don't like the work that they did. They're too worried that other stylists are going to judge their work or it's not going to get any engagement, right? So those are the fears that stylists have, but they're thinking of it from a stylist perspective. And if you think of it from a client perspective, which is who's following you, they only follow maybe one hairstylist, you. I mean, they're not following as many hairstylists as you follow. They're probably following maybe their chiropractor, a whole bunch of cousins and maybe an aunt and friends, right? So when your post comes up, they're... It's beautiful. It's amazing. They're not, they're, that's like the first beautiful photo they've seen all week, maybe. Right. So I always say just post more content and, um, and not worry about like if it's a good enough photo or not. And yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. I have another question. So yeah. you obviously have a lot of employees. What does your ideal employee look like? Like you're interviewing someone or you've got someone like, you know, maybe they're going to come into your company. What are you looking for? What is ideal? What is something you're like, yes, they need to work here. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's, it's, we run our business with values. So we don't have, we don't, we don't manage it or micromanage it in the sense of like having a lot of policies and rules for our stylists. Uh, so someone that really truly values freedom and flexibility is one of the most ideal stylists that, that, that come join our team. Um, it's also a stylist that, that wants to focus on their craft and really wants to get as great as they can be behind the chair and have some work-life balance. That's kind of what, what we look for. And then the values, I don't know, our values are kind of like, uh, I don't know, like grandma values, like just like the typical, like be kind to each other, you know, uh, help each other out. Um, I have, I have a list of what we have on our website and it's, it's, it's a little bit more specific. Uh, kindness, humility, diversity. We really care about diversity in our salon. Uh, gratitude, teamwork, communication, inclusivity, growth, abundance, mindset. That's one thing that's really important to us. Um, individuality, integrity, creativity, and passion. Those are the actual values that we have written on our website. I love that. Now, yeah, so if, someone has, if someone has that, then, and they care about those things as well, then they do really well in our environment. You, the first thing you said was freedom and flexibility, and that's not usually what an employee-based salon owner says. So what, tell us about that. How do you bring that into your salon and still make money? Yeah, that's, that's the new thing. I mean, I, I, I call it freedom in a framework and it's really creating an environment where there's workplace autonomy in the salon industry 
for commission or employee-based salons. And it's something that I'm coaching other salon owners to do right now. And it's working really well for us. And, and this is after all of those years of taking classes and learning how to not do things or how to not run your commission salon. It just kind of, I realized, and I think it's because I became more friends with my stylists and actually cared for them as human beings that I started listening to what hairdressers care about and what hairstylists care about. And they value freedom. They value flexibility. A lot of them didn't, they went into this industry for that reason, right? Or else they would have got, just gotten a, a corporate job or just a regular job where there's micromanagement and you have to be here and you only get a certain amount of days off and all the way that the rest of the world works. But artists usually don't think that way. So I finally, re I realized like, why can't a commission salon also have the freedom and flexibility that stylists desire so much and why most of them go independent? And uh, I figured it out. I just, well, it was a little bit scary at first. Like I remember when I first said, okay, you guys uh, uh, have unlimited vacation time off, right? And we also pay for, for time off, a certain amount of time off as well. And I'm like, is anyone going to come back to work? Are they just all going to like be gone? And I remember the first month, everyone was blocking themselves out. Like, you know, out on, you know, they would write a little thing like on vacation or at the beach or whatever. And I was like, holy shit, this is a mistake. Everyone's leaving. We're not going to, there's going to be no money. How are we going to pay the bills? And then, you know, when that fear sets in, you got, and if you've been to Tony Robbins, you know how to get out of that mindset. And I realized, you know what? I believe in this. Uh, if, if for some reason I can't run a hair salon because, um, I can't give people freedom, then I don't want to do it anyway. So, but then after a few weeks or a month, I don't know if stylists just started running out of money. They are like, I got to get back to work. And then they came back to work. And then once they realized that they can leave at any time and take any time off that they want, then they actually worked harder and happier. Interesting. So yeah. they could take as much time off as they want. They just block it out. You'll pay a certain amount of time off per year. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then do they pick their own schedule or do you schedule them? Yeah. So in, in our San Jose salon, we only have uh, 13 stations and about 16 stylists. So it's tight. So based on our resources, they can pick whatever schedules they want. So if there's a day that's already a, that's available or a station that they can take, then they could take that that um, that schedule. And now most of them, of course, they put in their their regular schedule because they want to keep consistency for their clients to know what days they normally work. But if they want to change their schedule after some time, they're welcome to do that. Or like I said, block themselves out because they have uh, something to do or a vacation they want to go on. They can do it at any time. What kind of benefits do you offer? We offer um, uh, medical insurance, dental insurance, vision insurance. Um, we have a 401k plan as well. For full-time yeah. people, right? Like they can't pick their, they can't change their schedule to like 12 hours a week yeah. and then get all of those rewards, right? Yeah, actually they can do the dental and vision because it's a voluntary plan, but the medical and the 401k where we contribute, then it has to be full-time. So that's an incentive right there to work full-time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how we have it. So we also, the freedom and the flexibility or freedom in a framework also means that they can set their own schedules, their their own pricing, they can do the services that they want to do and, and not do the ones they don't want to do. I know a lot of commission salons will make stylists do services they don't want to do. And a lot of salons are a level system. They have to charge a certain price based on their level. So we eliminated all of that stuff as well as eliminating the level system, eliminated that like hierarchy 
that seniority kind of toxic culture that happens in a lot of salons as well. Wow. That's awesome. Um, your salon accepts gratuities, right? Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Love that. Love that. I just, I'm yeah. asking, I'm asking all the salon owners, yeah, you know, I, I asked the whole class that time. Yeah. I, you brought it up in the class for us. It's, I mean, for, for us, it's important. I think a lot of our clients enjoy tipping. I know there's a lot of people that think that just including it in is a, is a better way of business. Um, but for us, uh, the gratuity is something that our clients and our stylists both appreciate. Absolutely. And then how do you recruit stylists? Do you let people come to you? Are you sliding in DMs? Like, how do you find people for your business? Are you going out of schools? What are you doing? Yeah. So ever since we changed our, our salon to freedom and a framework, we've had a crazy demand for stylists that want to come work for our salon. Either they're a suite renter or a booth renter or even a, a, a different commission salon, but they like that we offer that freedom, that flexibility and allow them to have that workplace autonomy. Um, and also uh, that work-life balance that sometimes running your own business is difficult to do. Uh, they want to join our team. So we haven't had to do much, but when I first opened Walnut Creek, we were brand new. I did do posts, but it was just literally like a, uh, Instagram stories. And then we would get in a whole bunch of applications. But today, now I haven't done any marketing, any advertising. And we have client, probably two to two to five stylists apply per week. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I love that. Um, all right. So now we're winding down a little bit. I have two more questions for you. Um, yeah. The first one is, what advice would you give to a stylist whose goal is to open a salon? Hmm. I think the biggest advice would be to make sure that they like business because a lot of stylists think they, they, they like business, but they really don't like business and just really breaking it down. Like just really breaking down like what it is to be a salon owner. It's not as luxurious as you think it is. It's not like this, you know, all of a sudden you're like famous and re and loved and respected by everyone in your community. Um, it's a tough business and, and you have to deal with a lot of tough things and you have to decide. I think my advice would be like, why do you want to be a salon owner? What are the, what is the reason why you want to be a salon owner? If it's because you want to make a lot more money, then that does that's not guaranteed in any business. Right. And we already know that hair salons have a very low profit margin, that it's very difficult to make money as a hair salon owner. Um, even sometimes more difficult than if you're doing a booth rental salon, depending on how many chairs you have. So I think it's very difficult to make money as a booth rental salon owner. I think if you really want to make money, you should open an employment based salon booth yeah. rental. You're not making any money until, unless you have 20 chairs or more, like you right. really are not making what people think. And the, it's like, you know, a stylist can work in your salon and bring in a hundred thousand and you're making, you know, 50% commission you're making, you're bringing in 50 grand, then you have your expenses and stuff. Say your expenses are half of that. It's 25 grand, right? Whatever. But yeah. if you're in like, obviously those are loose numbers, but with booth rent, if you're charging a thousand bucks a month, that's $12,000. Then you have your expenses. Like the, yeah. the amount of money is, it is not well, easy. What would you say the percentage of profit in a booth rental salon is? 10%. If you have a lot of, if you have a lot of like guest care staff, 
-hmm. and stuff too, but it really, but I can't even say 10% because I have 30 chairs. So it's insane. Like, and I got the advice from my mentor, Victor, don't do it unless you have 30 chairs. He's like 20 chairs. You'll be okay. 30 chairs. You'll be making money. And I have two managers, two front desk people. I've got, you know, all the amenities anyone could ever want and need ship breaks all the time. Uh, you know, insurance, everything that just costs a fortune. And then my husband and I, we make peanuts here on payroll. You know, we do our retirement and then all the rest of my money comes from my education business. But if I had no other job, I'd be behind the chair full time and earning that money. You know, it's really not as lucrative as people think, unless you really set it up with the intention, which I'm so glad I got that advice from Victor. Don't do it unless you have 30 chairs. And I was just like, yeah. okay. And for commission, I would say you have to really, the advice would be, do you want to build a brand? Do you want to build a business? Do you want to scale? Because if unless you, if you don't want to do that, you're not going to really make much more money doing that. And it's a lot of work for a small amount of money. So, uh, but if they just really want to do that, then I, my, my, my advice is just jump in and do it. Just go for it. Don't overthink it. You're going to, you're going to back out because you're going to go crazy thinking about how it works. Um, because when you're in it, your your the problems arise and then you figure out and you solve the issue and you keep moving forward. Absolutely. Like, I really do agree with you. You have to really truly think about why you want to do it. When I opened my salon, I wanted so badly to create a culture like, mm-hmm. you know, with my first salon, I wanted like that Paul Mitchell culture. Um, that I went to school, I had this, like, I had this total, like freaking utopian experience in hair school and then working in the salons and stuff like that. I was like, there's nothing like it. I'm going to create my own. And I was so Paul Mitchell, like brainwashed, which I'm so grateful for, you know, and that I got the best education in my opinion that I could have gotten. And I knew I wanted to create my own thing. And for a long time, my salon did really, really, really well. And then I really wanted to teach. Like my vision just changed. And I felt like I went into the salon ownership business with the right mindset of, I want to create a culture. I want to bring people together. I, If I were a tree, I'd be a Christmas tree because I love to bring people together. So I, I think that like really thinking about why is key. And That's- if it's for the money... <laughs> Think again. I mean, you could make a lot of money, but you have to be the market leader salon in your market, right? And that takes a lot of years and a lot of hard work. A lot of people think that salon owners get, you know, they're rich right away and a few years into it. But really, you've invested pretty much everything you have into that business. You're actually broke for the first three to five years, right? Yeah. You want to bring that up. So if you're not willing to invest heavy into your business, into your team, and focus on your team, maybe even more than your own clients, then maybe it's not the right decision. You know, I know a lot of stylists that make way more money as an independent stylist than as a salon owner working behind the chair. Hell yeah. People look at the network and they think I'm so rich. And it's so funny because I'm freaking broke right now. (laughs) I'm trying really hard right now to build back up transparently. Like, and I'll, I'll tell you this, Carlos, nobody else as we talk to a million followers. Um, imagine if a million people listen to this, that would be lit. Um, but (laughs) when I opened the network, I funded it through my classes. You know, I went out, I would teach a class, I would bring the money back home, pay my contractor. And I just built the salon like that. So all of my 
hard work for four years is sitting here. Yeah. Is sitting yeah. here. So people see it and they're like, wow, she must be rich. And I'm just like, you know, now I'm making money because I'm out teaching and now the money doesn't have to get dumped back in here. <laughs> right. it's and you have, you have to be a passion for you. You have to be something you're obsessed with, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. And if you're obsessed with it and you love it like crazy, then it's not necessarily just about the money and it's a beautiful thing. So I don't want to discourage any stylists from wanting to open salons, especially if you, um, are someone that wants to help elevate the industry and really do best for what this industry needs. And I encourage you to do it and, uh, and go through the tough times. And it is for me, I mean, it's, it's, I don't make crazy amount of money doing it, but if I continue to help hairdressers grow and succeed, then the business will continue to grow. And then that 10% is, uh, is, is nice on a bigger number. Absolutely. I love it. Um, next question is, and this is the last question. So what do you think every salon owner should know or realize today? Like, what do you think every salon owner just needs to get through their head? I think they need to understand that they work for their team and not the other way around. And if you want to continue to grow your team and have people that want to build with you and be part of your culture, um, you need to work for them and and care for them and take care of them. I love that. Thank you so much, Carlos. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Uh, oh. I know all of the listeners really appreciate it. And can you just tell them all where to find you if they want to follow along? Yeah, uh, they can find me at, at Salon Mastermind on Instagram and uh, follow me. I don't post too many uh, too many posts, but I'm always playing around with stories. And Gina, if you need any help on those paid ads, just reach out to me separately. Okay, I'll book something right away. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carlos. All right, everybody. We will be back for the next one. Can't wait to see you all there. Thank you so much for listening to Salon Ownership Unfiltered. This series has been so fun to record. I've learned so much from all of the amazing guests. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to provide this amazing free resource to all of you. It wouldn't be possible without all of my sponsors, my mastermind group, and education with influence because those amazing people and businesses support this free education. So please check out all the sponsors. Visit ginabianca.com slash podcast to get all of the information and more resources attached to this episode. I would also love to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you're loving the podcast. All right, that's it. I'll talk to you guys soon and hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you on the next one.